Welcome to Swanglinese, the only podcast talking the language of business here in the Middle East. Your hosts, Barry Lee Cummings and Oscar Andermo, give you their own insights, as well as interviewing business leaders in the region to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. Barry, Oscar, let's talk Swanglinese. Hello and a very warm welcome to this episode of Swanglinese. This week in the studio, I have the pleasure of Rosa and I'm going to be talking to her about her journey. Hi Rosa, how are you? Hi Barry, very good, thank you. Great to be here. Good, good, good. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. I've been trying to get you on the podcast for a long time and uh, one thing or another, I'm glad that we're able to do this. So I'm very, very grateful for that time. And to start with, for our listeners, um, start at the beginning. How and what and where, from Rosa's perspective, from a professional journey, did it start? So for me, where I sit now, thank you, Barry, for me, where I sit now with uh, with Associate, um, I guess I'm going to go back as far as my my kind of university, if you like, but I will make it short and concise. <laughs> my, my PR journey and my, my kind of marketing journey started with what I studied. Um, so I studied fashion management at London College of Fashion and specialised in marketing. But if I was to go back kind of even further, I decided on that journey from gosh, Vogue, age 13, I read what my mom called the world's most expensive magazine. Um, and I found a tiny little classified ad in the back and it said London College of Fashion. So as a 13 year old girl, I was like, I'm going to go to London and go to fashion school. Um, great idea. Asked for the prospectus, came through in the post as it did back then. And um, I was like, I'm going to be a fashion designer. And I think my dad, I was talking about my dad sitting on my shoulder, but I remember him very vividly saying, Rosa, your surname's not McCartney. Like, is there any other courses you could do? Obviously, surname's Bullock as well, not, not the best, but also I wasn't that great at art. Whilst I was creative, I can't draw really, I can copy. Um, so he was putting me on the right path. I then had the prospectus every year, like till I went, and I went to London College of Fashion, as I say, specialised in marketing, also did a year out in the industry. So I did in-house PR as part of a diploma in professional studies. So that's where the PR love came from, if you like. But I actually then fell in love with a boy back in Birmingham. So I'm from Birmingham, London was obviously uni, and ended up leaving the bright lights of the capital city, heading back and actually working for my mom after I graduated. Okay. Very different industries. She's childcare, health and beauty, and kind of business networking as well. She did, but I was basically her right hand woman. Okay. So, in that sense, I hired people, fired people, cleaned wax the floors. You you name it. Did every every week. And after a while of doing that, I did it for about three years. I, my dad again. Why don't you wanted to work in fashion? Why don't you do something a bit more like that? So I then went and worked for River Island. A, um, and was a visual merchandiser and a product manager there. That was great until I came out to Dubai on holiday and was like, I could live here. Again, bright lights kind of 10 years later, um, fell in love with the place and actually then looked at even being an air hostess. And my dad was like, really? Like Emirates, like why now? Could you not have done this when you're 18? All these kind of things. Um, and got a job as a PR manager out here whilst I was whilst I was on holiday here. It was all very oh, right. fate, if you like. <laughs> Had a stepping stone job when I did reach here with an agency to the point that I, I then actually ended up with a lot of court cases against me, oh. which was an interesting. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit interesting, right. all, of, all of which I won three times, but they were all labour court based on my contract, um, which right. was certainly a learning curve in this region. 
Um, and during that time, I then started to do freelance PR. And I guess that's where SoSate was born. So SoSate now is five and a half years old, but I was kind of, I wouldn't say pushed into it, but encouraged into it by being stuck on someone else's visa, starting to do freelance work. And then kind of here, here we sit today, five and a half years later, but that was the, the route, I guess, if you like. Okay. And so had you, prior to obviously these things happening, had you thought at any point, you know what, I want to do this for myself? No, not necessarily, but I've always had it in my kind of genes, if you like. So mum turned one of her bedrooms at home into an office. She, I've always known that entrepreneurial journey. I've seen her work incredibly hard. My dad also has his own business. So I, I've known that and I've always loved the flexibility that they have. Um, I didn't quite realise how many years of hard work have gone into that flexibility. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no, not I, did, I definitely didn't set out and go, I want to be... Uh, like an agency founder and I think that evolution came quite naturally I guess right okay and was it um, a, an easy transition from uh, obviously interesting coming out here on a, a effectively a tourist visa getting a job which is brilliant <laughs> in terms of that side of things and then transitioning into working from some working for somebody um, how easy was it for you then to aside from obviously the issues from a from a legal perspective being I'm sure a huge catalyst how was it how easy was it to switch from working for somebody else into being your own boss was it a, a step that went to okay I'm going to freelance it for a bit and then see what happens or did you know, know what I'm going full bore I'm going to set up the company uh, and it will still be just me to begin with but with a view to building it and um, it was it was quite fluid in the sense of we I, I kind of knew the gap in the market, if you like. So whilst I spent five and a half months with the first company that I was here with, I then also had that kind of nine months of freelancing. So I, I could definitely see there was a gap um, in order to start something. And very quickly, because of the rate that it grew, which was wonderful with freelance clients, I knew I needed more support. Right. Um, would I have had the, the kind of... The, the, the intuition to, to go out there, I'm not sure. And then it comes to another another man on my shoulder, I guess, that actually the talk of agency and establishing an agency came with my now husband when we were sat in a sports bar um, talking about life generally. And at this time, because I was freelancing, I had that, I'll pop to yoga in the morning, I'll go to the supermarket, I'll pop and see a client. Very, um, I don't know, very, very late, like girl at home, but working kind of freelance life, I guess. Yeah. And, he, and Stuart said to me, he said, if you went to less yoga classes, Rosa, you could make this as, into a business. Well, I'm quite, I've got two older brothers and I'm quite a, I will make this into a business. Don't tell me I could do something. So I kind of had the catalyst to kind of get out there, I guess, and make right. it more of a thing. Okay. And, and then how was that journey from making that decision uh, with the again, interesting always how the other half is quite influential in these things, that catalyst being lit behind you? How, how long did it take to, to get to, right, I'm doing it, I'm registering my business, uh, I'm, I'm going at this? And, and how was that process for you? Because one of the things that we talk about a lot on here is, is how a lot of people have the idea of setting up a business and I've got an idea and I want to do it, but then making it actually happen here in the UAE is a, is a whole other story, which is what we, why we're talking. How, how was that whole process for you? Um, I found it quite confusing at that stage because obviously not really knowing and understanding, I guess, the setup of businesses and the, the way that whole market 
has was adapting then and also has adapted far more since to the different levels of business, the different ways you can establish. It was quite confusing because I was baffled by literature and also um, at that time particularly I was quite sold to by the different people I approached mm. so again which is similar to my industry and why I wanted to start associate as well is that it was all like I was on a sales journey and it was quite impersonal so it was like you'd like to start a business with a great this is what it entails bullet pointed list of 20 things that I understand maybe five of them and mm-hmm. um, so when, when do you want to sign your check and I was like oh I don't so I went through quite a rigorous like checking process and actually I have been through two different free zones so I did start in one free zone um, and then I've moved to another one the one that I'm in now um, is is very well structured and set up and quite methodical even to the the business owner so I don't need a PRO I don't need all of those things I can do it all by a portal whereas the one I was with before whilst the sales journey into setting up was was nice and I, and I felt confident I then lost that key account manager and then was left in a in a, a scene <laughs> yeah not, not understanding and not really knowing who to talk to um so so that was was quite confusing and I'm also I'm more creative I'm less down to the detail so I had to triple read things and stuff Right. Okay. And where are you now then? Just out of interest, it's obviously from a positive perspective that you're, you're happier with this. And if anyone else out there has the same kind of approach to you in terms of that method, methodological approach, where, where, are, where is Sociate based now in terms of free zone? Yeah, we're in DMCC. And um, okay. so, yeah, it's JLT based, obviously, and they have, um, they have a very structured portal um, and everything is quite repetitive in what you do, but but methodical. So applying for visas, um, changing documents, you kind of apply via the portal, you get a text message, you then get an email and there's, there's a nice logic to it. They're also, they were slightly more expensive to set up than where I was with before, but then their renewal fees were slightly less than another free zone. So in the money sense, there isn't that much in it. Mm. Um, but once you, with DMCC, once you nail their portal, you can cut yourself down fees of having anyone else to help you with it. And it is quite methodical. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Definitely. Cause I, I think that is one of the things it has improved over the last, I guess, 10, 10 years that we've been here, but it's still, I know for a fact, a very confusing part of, okay, I, I want to set up a business. I think this is what I do. I think, <laughs> but then I can't find it on, on the portals or wherever. So it becomes, so it's, it's good to hear that that's actually been simplified um, from that perspective. Moving into the actual business, um, you, you, you know, from a PR perspective, but can you tell us a bit more about what Sociate is and, and what really was that gap in the markets? Because you've alluded to it there in terms of why you went to it. What was that gap and how have you built on that in terms of establishing the business? Yeah, sure. So we are a communications agency. Um, up until kind of late last year, I would have said we were a PR and marketing agency. The reason I've changed the, the narrative, if you like, on that is because PR and marketing as, as industries are very blurred. They have very blurred lines out here as to what is a is social media PR activity or a marketing activity, are influencers marketing or PR. And generally what we're doing is communicating. And so we, we come under the umbrella of communications agency and we're a, a communications agency that's driven by a tailored solution. So the, the gap in the market that I found whilst 
these days we do have more boutique agencies. We're a team of 13 now here in the, in the UAE and one person in the UK. So whilst we were a small team, there are many more uh, boutique agencies these days. But what I found then, and I still see these days that isn't there, is that people actually asking clients like kind of, what are your objectives and how could we, how can we achieve that? It was very much a blanket sell before. So we have this package, this package, and this package. And um, being quite heavily involved in business development from the previous agency, I was out at a lot of um, a lot of new business meetings. And I was kind of trained to sell, mm-hmm. not to listen and to help and to understand what do they need. And it was in, in these boxes, I was kind of saying, well, what if the client was somewhere between box A and box B of deliverables? We were like, well, we'll sell them the more expensive one because we'll try and, and it wasn't well actually we need this now something else next month and so forth so a, t- a tailor a tailor-made solutions are key and also flexibility with how do we pay when do we pay to an extent granted but also <laughs> what, does that, what does that um what does that look like based on on start dates um, and and so forth and also in line with all of that is the the extension of an in-house team why do people come to agencies they come because they don't have the in-house resource for those cap- for, for, to deliver those capabilities so the more involved we are the better whereas what i'd seen before was agencies having like a monthly meeting with their with their clients the role of an agency is to take jobs away not give them back and if you're meeting once a month that sounds like a minefield to me so from Mm. from that side that's kind of where we were born from a really heart and sleeve approach of helping people when they need it rather than selling to them that's awesome Uh, in that with that in mind how do you balance the um the ability to do that with the fees that would need to be charged to to compensate for people's time because that's really the the big resource right in terms of being able to be involved with the, with an organization at the level that you'd want to be to to be helpful and to help them how do you balance that i i wish i knew i think i'll be forever, <laughs> forever analyzing it because the the heart on the sleeve doesn't help me commercially mm. um from a business sense and um, so we have made um I have, I don't know how I balance it. That would be my first bit. But also we've made a bit of a shift as an agency because whilst I, I love working with startups, I love that journey. I love, I love helping people. I've said that a couple of times. I also know that for my team now to um, respect their own professional capabilities and the time and the hours within their day, actually some of the slightly larger businesses come, so for PR, for example, they'll come with a marketing team who has a marketing calendar that we then communicate. It's a little bit more streamlined. So we are trying to look for businesses that are slightly more established these days because it does cut down um, some of the expectations from our side. Because as well, when we're looking at startups, a lot of the time they never tell us a definite budget. They don't have one in theory. Um, so then we play kind of fishing, if you like, with what, what we can catch for them. Um, and also they, they will look at it in the sense that there's they'll, they'll expect the world for very little yeah yeah no no i, I mean I'm, I'm nodding along and smiling because it's it's a very very familiar scenario <laughs> and it's something that we've done as well with with the digital business that um as much as i want to help and i try to help it sometimes it's just not commercially viable uh, in terms of what what we would need to charge and what's available from those ones and that's that's also the worst um not scenario, but the, the thing I've seen with a lot of startups is that they don't actually allocate a budget to things that are necessary for launching your business. And they, they spend a lot on their um, 
maybe on some advertising on their website, for example, or their branding and everything. And they then when you ask them and they come, like I say, come to you fishing, it's like, so what, what do you have to spend on this? Well, what, what would you recommend? So, well, obviously I could recommend the, the Rolls Royce, you know, if, if, if you've got the ability to do that. And if you have, then this is going to work very well for you. But do you have that? Oh, well, no, we, we don't have. Okay, so yes, this is what we're trying to establish. But rather than having coming in and saying, well, I'd like a, you know, I'm here. I've got this middle of the range or I am, you know, we, we've got investors. We're going all out and, and this is where we are. It's, uh, it would streamline the process. I see that happens a lot here as well in terms of there seems to be lots of backwards and forwards. Some people tell me it's cultural in terms of the negotiation side of things, but it's also for me, and this goes to, you, know, you may well have experienced this as well, you know, selling things on Dubizzle and, and so forth. Just this, <laughs> you know, we could, this could be a lot easier <laughs> if we just, this is, put, what, this is my final price, no negotiation. So what's the best price you can do? Yeah. yeah, it's that one, <laughs> that one right there. I, I tried to explain it to somebody the other day because I was kind of, I was trying to be as direct as I could be. And I, I came to the, the, this kind of scenario. I said, when you go to Spinney's, then you know whether you're going to restock your cupboards or you just need your key essentials. Mm. Like, so people do have an idea because as soon as they pick up the phone or they fill in the contact us form, they're thinking, oh, for me, like I would, I would really like, PR man, like someone to manage my PR for me. I've got a bit of a budget. I'll I'll see who I can reach out to. Well, what's that bit of a budget? And it would just help so much. Um, but yeah, million dollar. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that that that's because in some cases people don't actually understand what they're asking for when it comes to PR? Certainly for PR, yes. Um, I think I think differently around social media, but definitely for PR because a lot of people I don't think understand what it is. And a lot of people think PR is advertising um, and, and don't know. So we we try and educate, and I've done kind of small explainer videos before to try and to try and get the message out there. But it's it's quite different here in this region as well, I think, um, because the media landscape is quite concentrated. So we don't have, which you would think would make it easier, but it, somehow it just doesn't. Right. Yeah, lack of knowledge might be might be key there too. Yeah, just interested in that because I do feel that's similar from from our side of things that people don't know what they're asking for. Whereas if they're going into Spinney's and they're buying a loaf of bread and then they they've got okay, well that seems expensive for a loaf of bread. Like, well, yeah, this is made from this, that, and the other, whatever. But when it comes to things like digital marketing, PR, people say, well, I've, I've got to have it in my business plan, so it's there. Um, and then when they start to ask people, they're like, well, oh, that seems like a lot. Not really really knowing what they're asking for. So it's just in intriguing from that side of things. I've seen a lot of the content you put out there from an educational perspective, because it's also an angle that I'm working towards to try and help um, streamline the, the industry and, and also remove a lot of the myths and the uh, misperceptions, I, I suppose, of that. Are there some specific misperceptions and myths in, in your industry that you, A, really have a problem with, and B, uh, are trying to sort of correct? And um, one of the, th yeah, 100%, that there's many, one of the, the main ones that I kind of think around is, well, I've been working with you for three months and your activities haven't contributed to more sales or more football. Like I, I, we, we get that quite often with clients, particularly around kind of um, venues and for, from an F&B point of view and or sales from an e-commerce. And, and my kind of, my question always is, do you ask every single person that sits down in your restaurant? And I mean, every single person, and every single person that's going through the sales process on your website, how they heard about you. And usually it's no. 
because the you think things you buy online have you ever been had what once in a blue moon people will ask or they might send a survey afterwards and also when I think about restaurants um, an example I always give and I've still not been um, I really want to go to Koya restaurant I've heard so many great things about it I've seen influencers go there I've seen it numerous times in, in publications I'm sure I've probably seen an advert I've heard friends talk about it but if I sit down in that seat I might just say oh my friend mentioned it to me Whereas yeah. actually the other touch points get completely forgotten. So I wouldn't be ticked in the box of what the PR agency helped with that. So it's quite hard because it's so hard to track for PR. It's like, well, you haven't helped me. You haven't, you haven't got any sales. And we worked with a fashion brand actually a good few years ago now. And it, I had the same conversation that I've just kind of relayed, but for fashion. And, she's, and she literally she said, people know about my brand but I don't think it's contributing to the sales. And I said, but I've done my job. As a yeah. PR professional, people know about your brand. So <laughs> but the ROI for PR is so hard and it's the hardest one to tell. And I also get asked a lot, how many pieces of coverage can you guarantee? And I, mm. I, I turn around quite bluntly and I'm like, none. Yeah. And, and I've got to the point where I'm quite deadpan about it now, especially with people I've been chatting with because I can't guarantee anything. No PR professional can guarantee anything. Yeah, no, it's very true. And there's so many parallels between the digital and, and, and whatnot. And we've done stuff together and we've talked about this as well. And that's why I always find it very interesting because anyone that does go out there and, and guarantees things from from our perspective, I can't guarantee anything on behalf of Google because I'm not Google. So if I stand there and guarantee it for you, I'm lying to your face, <laughs> effectively. So many people do here, though. This, this mm. is the put it in, put it in a contract. Please, please, like state that you will. I said I'll, I'll state how many press releases I'll send out for you, but I won't state the results because I don't know the results. And yeah, yeah. same. Yeah, no, it's and this just hasn't hasn't changed in the last 10 years which i would have hoped that it would i think that's not true it has changed but it hasn't changed as much as i would have hoped it would have done especially for things like e-commerce platforms and just by virtue of some of the questions that i get asked and i think that maybe that's similar for you the for what you're saying that it's you you become quite deadpan about saying that because you've said it literally a hundred thousand times and uh, and still people aren't believing it <laughs> For whatever reason <laughs> and the only thing I, I the only way i can kind of say it is I, I don't i would say i don't take on projects i don't believe i will get the results for yeah but again then they're like so you only believe you don't know and it's like no i don't know <laughs> so it goes in, it goes in full circles yeah. um and then i kind of resort back to the, the price of pr versus advertising and uh, and then we kind of open a, a can of worms but <laughs> Yeah. yeah fair enough yeah and it, it is, but that's part of doing business here I think and uh, it is one of those things I think people who are new to the area or new to the region would do well to take heed of because they can avoid quite a few of the headaches that we've we've been through but then they can't afford some of them because they're just inevitable for everybody even when you're fully aware of it you know that it's coming but I guess you can prepare yourself for the banging your head against the brick wall for, for a couple of days yeah. <laughs> perspective week. yeah, yeah <laughs> weeks yeah um but this is there's also a question that I, I want to, to ask in terms of it's it's sort of trending it's in, in the in line at the moment but in terms of um this whole gender thing about being a woman in business versus being a man in business and the idea of, of privilege and so forth and so it's so it's been intriguing me actually for a while because i've i've become much more aware of my lack of 
understanding of my own privilege uh, in this. And so it, from, from your perspective, instead of setting up a business and doing business here, what's been your experience of that from as a woman doing business here in the UAE? Positive, negative, uh, <laughs> indifferent? <laughs> yeah, sure. I think there's, there's a couple of things to it for me is um, why I'm six foot tall as well. So obviously can't tell <laughs> But I have found, and that might sound really silly, but I think because I kind of stand proud of my shoulders, even in certain scenarios that have been quite male dominated, which I, I do believe the business world is still quite male dominated. Um, I, I kind of don't feel as affected as potentially as I could have been because I'm not a timid person, maybe being a PR girl as well situations don't phase me necessarily um the six foot tall just helps at being able to look down at someone that's trying to look down at me yeah absolutely um, yeah <laughs> um but i think it is it has been quite male dominated but i think that the way that the business um, or the business setup has evolved um to the all of the different ways of being able to start a business that we now have i do believe that that has opened it up to being i wouldn't i would never say we're anywhere near more equal in split of business owners to um, men to women which actually I'd love to know um, but I do think that now a lot of kind of previously maybe stay-at-home moms or part-time working moms of also being able to um, start some of the passion projects because there are other ways to set up businesses so I think we are seeing more um, more women in uh, kind of company founder roles as well these days um, as, as far as how how we're kind of received I do notice that um, when I go to any meeting that has like a boardroom set up or from client side, it does tend to be still quite male dominated. Right. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's it, more corporates. Mm, yeah. I'm, I'm very, again, is this my lack of awareness of, of, of these scenarios unfolding because I'm not a woman, first of all. So I've never had, and I can never have that that viewpoint but it's been coming to my attention more and more just through being in the business world and I'm always interested to find out from from people who have that viewpoint what what the reality is because again I always find it interesting that there's a, a male offering his opinion on what it is and like well <laughs> what, what am I doing saying anything about that I really even if I have an opinion I should just keep it to myself until I've actually understood as much as I can, what's actually happening. So it's, it's an interesting scenario, especially again, in context of the, of the culture here in, in some cases. And that was also something I wanted to get your input in, in terms of whether you see that coming into it um, from some of the misperceptions of how people view women in, in the Middle East, but also then with the reality for you as well. Um, I would say in, in a culture sense, um, and uh, I hope this comes across in its, its right kind of vein. I think being female and being British as well, uh, as, a, as from a cultural background, I think it stands quite well, well respected. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that has played a part in some of the scenarios I mentioned. And I also know that the, the agency I came out here to work for, the reason, because I don't have a business development background, I don't have a sales background in the slightest, but I was um, kind of, pushed in the nicest possible way into quite a lot of business development scenarios because I was British and yeah. because I was a woman. Yeah. Um, so I went to nearly every business development meeting at that agency because of, the, because of those reasons. So I, I think, yeah, I, I do think there's a difference in, in that sense and inter, International Women's Day being culture and, and diversity as, as a theme this year, I think is also quite prevalent in where we're at in the market mm -hmm. at the moment. 
Yeah, no, but definitely. Yeah, I think it's 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 only positive that they, these conversations are becoming more frequent, becoming more um, vocal, becoming more open. Um, and uh, I do think that sometimes social media doesn't help in the slightest because the it, having the the been in the business for that the last ten years and seeing how social media has evolved and it just is the worst place. To, to have a conversation about any of these things because it, it's never a conversation that's the reality it just becomes people trying to shout their opinion louder than the other person and that's not really I was constructive. Say, it's almost not a conversation it's just an no. opinion bashing isn't it yeah and everybody's wrong and you're right and uh, and then we get into this whole idea well that's because what you're seeing in the online space supports your echo chamber and that's a whole other conversation <laughs> but it's yeah. but it is interesting it is interesting to hear that from from that side of things now as you've gone through this journey you've built a business you've got people working for you um you um your mum as well so again you, with we've got to talk about it covid how has that been for you as again you juggling multiple plates up in the air at the same time how, how have you found that over the last uh, i guess the last year really <laughs> yeah and it has a, a year on the 23rd of march i remember wow. it vividly. The, the first day i sat at home and and worked out what zoom was from someone that doesn't like technology that much um yeah an absolute minefield but i'm um i'm lucky that covid hasn't from a health sense affected anybody in, in a bad way within my I, I know people that have had it but i haven't had any um haven't been met with any sad moments luckily mm. directly but i'm forever thankful for it and the reason i kind of said that bit first is because it's realigned my life as a business owner and a mom and um, mm. so my daughter who i'm very lucky she's not made an appearance yet um in in, in this podcast so i'll just throw it out there to check <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> she'll be yes, in in a minute <laughs> she's, she's made an appearance in, in numerous business meetings over the last 12 months <laughs> She kind of tends to arrive as Elsa, goes away again and comes back as Anna and then Aurora. And I'm like, there's not much I can do about this, really, unfortunately. Um, and it's happened a lot, believe me, in some interesting scenarios. Um, and equally, in that sense, I've had some some men that I've thought, oh, please don't come in today. And they're like, oh, isn't she wonderful? Yeah. Um, but I, I, the reason I say um, the reason I say I'm thankful to it is because it's aligned. I, I was working a hell of a lot of the businesses were well, now five and a half years old, so kind of four and a half years um, or coming up to four and a half when, when COVID struck, so to speak, and work from home became a norm. Mm. But what I was doing before then, I was leaving, dropping her at nursery at eight, if not before, getting back at 6.15, if not later, spending 10 minutes with her before I put her to bed and then starting the whole process all over again. Whereas actually with working from home, yes, I did get to see Elsa, Anna and Aurora on an hourly basis, <laughs> but also I had breakfast with her, I had dinner with her and, and that kind of side of things made it a lot more real for me as a mother, which it, it reset me and it reset me forevermore. Mm -hmm. um, and as, as a business owner, the, by far the hardest of the five and a half years has been the last year. Mm -hmm. and. We chose, or I chose, I should say, to aim to keep the team together. So I didn't make any redundancies last year. Right. I was just very, I, I'm always very transparent anyway, because we're so small, but I just talked the team through the status on a daily basis. And yes, we reduced salaries, we had to, there was no other way. But luckily because of the culture and, and we have a very good culture within Sociate, hashtag Team Sociate, that we, we were all on the same journey and we were all passionate about keeping us together and coming out the other side. And I'm very, very proud and very privileged to have a wonderful team because we have come out the other side. We are all still together and we've even recruited this year. 
So everything that we, and from, from digital marketing and, and our whole industry of marketing generally, what did we focus on when 90% of the clients left in March last year and March mm. and early April was our own visibility. So we ended up doing what we were trying to preach to clients to do. But then when, when they flew and paused their contracts, we did our own and, and it's worked. Um, so from, from that side of things, I've, I've, learned, I've learned to be a mom again, which I don't mind saying. A lot of women would say, oh, no, I managed to do it all. I wasn't doing it all very well. I was doing the business bit quite well before COVID and the mom bit. Now I do very well. I won't say I wasn't doing it well, but you get the gist. No, absolutely. No, and I think it's, I mean, it takes a, a lot of self-awareness to admit that. I think that it's it's a great thing to be able to, to say and you've, you've taken control of it and still running, <laughs> doing the business side of things very well as well in terms of being able to manage, keep the team together, which I think you've got every right to be very proud of there. And, and whilst you say you're in it together, you are, have been the facilitator of this so you, rightly so uh, in terms of the um queen of pr with your your your, <laughs> your, your crown there um and, and managing a business to, to to do that and keep it together i think is a huge accomplishment especially given the last year it's been the worst year that i've had business wise we um um we, we've suffered but you've i think you've also done the thing that i was wanted to do which was to our own stuff gets pushed to the bottom of the pile all of the time as, as a business as a person um and trying to bring that to the top when doors close is something that i was actively trying to do but i don't think i've done as good a job as you guys have because i'm following you obviously on social and everything so I'm like, wow that, that's it's inspirational as well because you do think right well i do need to kind of kick myself into gear and get it going and then i also have my wife doing that for me as well kicking me um because yeah she's <laughs> yeah exactly and and, uh, and and kind of like with your other half as well actually the sometimes the the input from them I don't want to hear it but actually I need to hear it and uh, and it's right <laughs> nine times out of ten um, and so uh, especially from a male brain perspective I kind of go away and sit down and think oh, yep she's right again <laughs> yeah and, and equally so, so do i the amount of times in the last well particularly in the last year but since so it started that Stuart will have told me something so many times in so many different ways and then i will hear it, it from someone else and i come back and I'm, like, I'm gonna do this and he's like we don't have this like and i'm like well yes but it's but it's different and the like i'm not honest it's not different it's just i didn't want to listen really to start yeah. with yeah we don't want to hear it from them in particular anyone else is fine <laughs> but no. yeah, <laughs> with um with that in mind and the, the challenging nature of the last year i think that there's a lot of conversations going on now about uh, mental health mental well-being and so forth has there been anything that you've been doing um for, for your own personal well-being during this time in terms of keeping you on the straight and narrow as it were being focused and uh, a lot of people sort of the idea of getting up and working from home is great. And then it becomes, oh, and then it gets less and less and less and, and you become less productive. Is, is there anything that you've sort of done that, that, that you've introduced or that you've carried on doing that, that keeps you focused and keeps you keeps you moving forwards? Yeah, there's two clear things I can think of. One is exercise. Um, and again, right. going back to the, the, pre, the pre-COVID life of leaving early, coming back late. Exercise for me is always, I love it. I love going to mm. the gym. I love doing, like, I'm one of the crazy people that I'm like, oh, I'm going out for a run and be really excited about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just love it. And I was never giving enough time to it. So whether it be when it was during lockdown, 
I was luckily on the first bandwagon of need to buy weights for home until they all sold out from every which yeah. place. Um, so, so I kind of set myself up a little routine of, of what to do at home. And when we were allowed out for, run, for a run, I would go. And I, I put it in my calendar because if I don't put it in my calendar, it doesn't happen. And I used to yep. put um, unavailable, Rosa unavailable. But then I was like, I'm a human. So because obviously my team can see my calendar. And I was like, Rosa, exercise time it is now. And that is because it really helps level me out from, right. from that it's really useful um and then the other one is kind of a, a bit more on the kind of girly fashion background sense is that whilst we were locked down and it was purely only the top that you could see i used to uh, and we did a great piece of content over the summer about it. i'd wear different necklaces right. so i like have my baggy jeans on but i'd have like different necklaces or funky earrings and then it got known on some of the networking calls were or oh, what's rosa gone to or hair bands, like glittery hair bands and everything um, so, I, so I did that and I also now kind of being back out at work um, and it's, it's not necessarily a tip around the last year, but I plan my outfits because I like fashion, I appreciate, but I will actually put different things together and I put them all on a different rail. Um, right. And I was talking to someone about it the other day. And so it's amazing how so I have, I studied fashion. That was, that's my main passion outside exercise and, and Elsa and Anna is it, mm. definitely my, my main kind of thing. And I've got this wealth of clothes and, and jewellery and I'd wear the same five things because they were what I'd wore last week so that kind of as, as part of a routine mm. on a separate rail and stuff so it sounds really silly but it makes me really happy because then I do get to be the the mother that drops her school her, her daughter rather at school in crazy outfits but I really like it and I'm yeah <laughs> makes me smile well that and I think that's so important and often um undervalued by people that you say it's a simple thing that makes you feel good but what a positive thing to have going for you because so how many people get up and uh oh, you know what 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 is going on and, and just get stuck in the daily routine of, of yeah exactly the rut and the treasury of doing it and why not actually do something so i think that's a that's a that's a brilliant thing and keep keep doing it because it is one of those things and our, our children go to the same school so i do see and it's like well yeah that's definitely a bright outfit this morning and then yeah. there's like oh no it's off to the gym <laughs> so yeah, yeah, whereas, you, you can see the difference in the yeah. days definitely straight to work today yeah whereas i'm completely the opposite and you, i pretty much have you know jeans and polo shirts and there might be a different color that's about the extent of it from that side of things but um yeah but again different different <laughs> different backgrounds and uh, and all that um with um with, with thinking about how you, um, those things that actually make you happy and, and keep you on the straight and narrow, for a lot of the people listening in, they are in a position of maybe not having made that jump yet into starting their own thing or have made that in their one month, two month, a year or something into it. So one of the questions I always like to ask our guests is um, is about resources, stuff that you would recommend to, to our listeners. And it can be books, it can be people, it can be mentors, it can be tools. Is there anything, you know, your go-to from Rosie's, you know, you know what? this is something that I firmly believe in and I would recommend to anybody. Yeah, sure. One of mine is definitely is a book and it's uh, mm. certainly in the start of the journey, probably not a book that you pick up off the, um, off the bookshelf because it's called built to sell. I don't know. Oh, yeah. You've read it. yeah. Yeah. Um, I've read that. And yeah. John, John Warrenlow, I believe yes. but yeah, built to sell. it's a well-known book and it's a really, it's a really short book. So for somebody like me, that's attention span to reading, isn't that great? Or there's audio versions, but I wish I'd almost, read built to sell before I started so it is a great thing to read because I just think that meant even though I'm not looking to sell my business that mentality into scenarios of 
it's just you're nodding like you've read it so you're bringing things into a concise manner rather than trying to sell everything to everyone um, and I know there's other ones but that's a fantastic book yeah absolutely I wish that I had read it as well because it really does help you go oh I uh, don't have to do everything for everybody this is what we do and and having read that and I still find myself coming in reevaluating, going oh you've gone off again you've gone off yeah. onto doing too many things bring it back to to what it is and and also the ability to sort of say no to clients because you know that actually it's not in line with what you want to bring to the market even though you could do it and that inevitably ends up being um, more hassle than it's worth for, for for you and the client unfortunately and then everybody comes out with a negative experience um so yeah brilliant book from that side of things uh but you, was there something else that you were also going yeah, the to the other one was kind of in line with what you just said actually it was the um it's certainly for client client facing uh, as we are with agencies is that ability to go to, to fire a client Mm. And just go, this is not the best use of our time or the best use of your money. And I think it takes, I remember the first day, well, the first time I tried to fire a client, they came back stronger and loving us even more. I, I just definitely didn't get that firing process right the first time. Um, and I've only actually ever done it twice. And the second time that I've done it, we uh, are the best of social, uh, like networking friends now. And we've got utmost respect for each other because it just wasn't working. So I think that... I need business from everywhere, even in the early days, learn to choose or channel the business from the right places because it doesn't serve you. Um, mm. So I think that's the other thing. So I, I remember going out like I had clear interests um, and then I was kind of doing tech PR and all these different things, which is lovely now because I have people to be able to do it. And Rosa would just go, oh, that's not my bag. But I was like, yes, I can do that. And then I was spending hours reading up somebody that doesn't like reading on an industry that didn't interest me whereas actually I should probably just have focused on what I do know very well and love um but I think in the early days we can be too quick to go yes 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 yeah definitely and it's hard not to do that but because because of course when you're starting out you're thinking well I need to get business in so I should say yes to this but I think brilliant brilliant advice there from from somebody that's been extremely successful in building a business um and I just want to say thank you very much for your time Rose I really appreciate your time thanks for joining us and uh, hopefully we'll um we'll see each other in in real world um as well but um we're spots all over it on the school uh, day it sounds, sounds good to me. Thanks again for, for, for joining us, Rosa. Thank you, Barry. Uh, for everyone else listening in, thank you for checking this out. If there is anyone that you would like us to talk to, then please do drop us a line at wishlist at swenglinese.rocks. And it just remains for me to say thanks again to Rosa. Thanks for listening in, and we will catch you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Swanglinese with your hosts, Barry Lee Cummings and Oscar Endermo. We'll catch you next time.